This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Join me in your Bibles in Jeremiah 7. Um, This lesson is entitled, Amend Your Ways, um, which is a direct quotation from this chapter. Uh, Jeremiah uses that phrase a couple of times. And we're going to give attention this week to the preaching of Jeremiah. Uh, We've considered the world that Jeremiah lived in. We've considered the call of Jeremiah. Now we're moving on to consider his preaching. Um, For a while, I was confused about two terms. Hermeneutics and homiletics. All right. Since I had to take classes on both hermeneutics and homiletics in college, I'm, I'm clear on it now. All right. But... For a while there, I didn't want to use these terms because, because I was afraid I'd misuse them. Uh-uh. Where are they found in the Bible? <laughs> we can talk later. I'm <laughs> sorry. <laughs> these, uh, these pastors, they're trouble. Um, but now I do have a clear idea of the de- definition of the two terms. All right. Hermeneutics is a discipline that's clearly important for every Christian. And I will agree with Pastor Coles that sometimes we use these fancy words when we ought to just use plain, clearly, to be understood words, okay? We could probably just say Bible study, all right? Hermeneutics is the art and science of studying the Bible. Um, If you were to take a class on hermeneutics, you might learn about the importance of context, Uh, You might learn about how to do a Bible word study. Uh, You might be introduced to resources that allow you to see what words mean in the original languages or some resources that help you to understand the geography and history and culture of Bible times. Um, We we don't need to be experts, but hermeneutics is an area that every Christian ought to give some attention to because we all ought to be good students of the Bible. Homiletics, on the other hand, is often considered more of a specialized area. Homiletics is the art and science of preaching the Bible. A study of homiletics would likely include some hermeneutics, because studying the Bible is important to being prepared to preach the Bible, but it might discuss things like sermon outlines, the proper use of illustrations, um, even tips like for public speaking, like how to properly project your voice, or the correct use of hand gestures, and that sort of thing. Um, And I dare say that if during our next Bible Institute we had a class on hermeneutics and a class on homiletics, the class on hermeneutics would probably be a lot more popular than the class on homiletics. Um, You might say, for the majority of people in this room, that a study of homiletics is something I'm never going to touch. It has nothing to do with me. Well, hold on to your seats, because I would argue that tonight's lesson is, in in some ways, a homiletics lesson. Um, We're going to let the prophet Jeremiah teach us how to preach. And you might think, well, that might be beneficial to you and to a few other guys in this room, um, but what about the rest of us? Well, there are lessons that we can learn from Jeremiah's preaching that are helpful to all of us. We're all called to proclaim God's word. And I would actually argue that in many ways, getting behind a pulpit is one of the easiest and most clearly defined ways to do that. What we'll consider from Jeremiah's example tonight would be helpful in preparing us for other sorts of opportunities to proclaim God's word, like an opportunity to proclaim God's word to a group of coworkers or to a boss or in the middle of a family gathering, or to a group of friends. So, welcome to Homiletics by Jeremiah. (laughs) And I hope you'll find that this is going to be helpful to us. We're going to be considering how Jeremiah preached, but these aren't just lessons that apply to somebody who's getting behind a pulpit, somebody who is here in church preaching on a Sunday. These are lessons that apply to us in in whatever context we are called to proclaim the word of God. 
now, what, as we get here to chapter 7, uh, we don't know the exact timeline of what's going on here. All right, Back in chapter 1, he began his ministry. We know that was in the 13th year of Josiah, uh, right here. In the first 18 chapters or so of Jeremiah, he doesn't give us a lot of information that helps us to know when these prophecies are happening. Um, but... As you read through Jeremiah 1 through 6 this week, um, those chapters all contain prophecies that most likely Jeremiah delivered during the reign of Josiah. And as we come to chapter 7, different people disagree on when this falls, but uh, there, there are things from the context here that would suggest that this too is a prophecy that's happening during the reign of, of Josiah. In fact, um, I would venture to guess that most likely as we come to Jeremiah 7, um, God's law being discovered, rediscovered in the temple, that's something that has recently happened. And so we're somewhere around this time here. Uh, we're several years into Jeremiah's ministry, and in many ways this is a high point for the people of Judah. Um, outwardly, the nation is looking good. Josiah's leadership is encouraging righteousness. But even in the middle of that, Jeremiah has some harsh words for these people. And he makes it clear that despite their appearances, they have wayward, idolatrous hearts. And we'll see that here as we look at Jeremiah chapter 7. So let's dive in and notice the elements that marked Jeremiah's preaching. Uh, first of all, notice that Jeremiah preached the word of God. Notice how Jeremiah opens the chapter. Verses 1 and 2. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying... Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all ye of Judah, that enter in at these gates to worship the Lord. So, Jeremiah was instructed to open his message with the words, Hear the word of the Lord, all ye of Judah. But that phrase that Jeremiah opens the chapter with is, is we find it all through this book. He opened with the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. And some version of that, the word of the Lord came to me, or the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, is actually used in 27 of the 52 chapters of this book. So over and over again, we find Jeremiah saying, the word of the Lord came to me, or, or he, sometimes it's first person, sometimes it's third person, but the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Again and again, this is emphasized. Uh, another phrase that gets even broader usage uh, by the time we get to Jeremiah 7, we have already come across the phrase, saith the Lord, or thus saith the Lord, 35 times, just in the first six chapters of this book. And if the Bible program I used is correct, that phrase, saith the Lord, is found 318 times in the book of Jeremiah. So Jeremiah makes it abundantly clear throughout that he is preaching the word of God. This is not his word. This is not his ideas. This is the word of God. And he emphasizes that over and over again with different phrases that he uses throughout. And I wanted this to be the first point that we consider, not just because it's the first thing we come across in the passage here, but because it's supremely important. And it might seem silly to even have to say this, but in order to proclaim God's word, we have to proclaim God's word. And you might say, okay, obviously. But, but think about this. When we take the opportunity to stand up for the truth in some way, are our words really truly based on what God has said? Or... Are they based on our own opinions or our own feelings about something? When we weigh in on something, are we speaking God's words? Or how often is it just how we feel or what we think about that particular issue? Of course, it's not wrong to have opinions or ideas. And there are certain things we understand that God's word does not directly address. But there is always a foundational principle in God's word that ought to be informing 
the words that we are sharing about any particular issue. And how often do we, when, when people need the riches of God's truth, do we give them our two cents instead? You know, I have to say, this is a, this is a temptation for preachers and teachers. Using a public platform, an opportunity to, to speak before people, to disseminate opinions or to air grievances about something instead of coming back to what does God say. And again and again, I have to, I, I personally have to say, all right, doesn't matter what, what hobby horse I might want to get on, what soapbox I might want to step up on, what does God say? What has God said about this? And this is so important. This is so foundational to any opportunity we have to share God's word. Are we sharing God's word? And that's what we find Jeremiah doing here. And it seems that Jeremiah's timidity and reluctance that we talked about last week are paying off because he didn't become a prophet because he had an agenda. He wasn't looking for a platform. He wasn't looking for an opportunity to street, speak uh, truth to power. He simply wanted to obey God. And that's what we find him doing. And so he is completely submitted to God's word. So Jeremiah preached God's word. And that, this is a pattern we see throughout his ministry. It's all about Jeremiah saying what God says. Now, of course, we know... We, we're not to expect direct revelation from God in the way that Jeremiah had got it. Uh, we have the complete revelation of God for the ages here, and that's our authority. Um, I don't think I need to clarify that point with you, but that is important for us to understand. But it's got to be God's word. Also, we find in Jeremiah 7 that Jeremiah preached openly. In verse 2, God commands Jeremiah to stand in the gate of the Lord's house to preach, and that his message is to, be, uh, is to all ye of Judah that enter in at these gates to worship the Lord. So Jeremiah is standing in the gate of the temple. That's where he's preaching, and his message is to be to all the people of Judah. He is in a public place. He's in a place where, where anyone that lives there could be coming by, could be passing by, and could be hearing his message. And that certainly is a mark of boldness. This is a kind of boldness that uh, marks so much of Jeremiah's ministry, even though it seems very contrary to his, his nature. And this might be a type of courage that feels very contrary to your nature, as it does to mine tonight as well. So what does this look like in our lives? Jeremiah preached openly. He was bold. He was open with the message. How do we think about that in terms of our own lives? Um, one area that I think we can falsely assume is being open with our proclamation of God's truth is posting things online. Now, do not get me wrong. All right, uh, I am grateful for those who are, who are sharing God's word in the right way and being an encouragement that way. Uh, through social media. Um, I'm grateful for Pastor Coles and all that he does in that way. But how much boldness does it take to sit at a computer and put things up online? Sometimes we can think, well, it's open, it's out there, it's public. And so that's openness about the message. That's boldness. Um, but true boldness is required when we're face-to-face -face with people. And when we're sharing truth that they don't want to hear to their faces. And so there can be this tendency to, to want to make excuses. And that's just one example of somewhere that we could say, well, I'm doing it over here, and so I'm going to slack off in another area. And uh, true boldness for God's word means that we speak up for the truth when someone needs to speak up for the truth. And that can mean doing so among unbelievers, or it can mean doing so among believers. Boldness for the Lord often means a willingness to speak God's word regardless of who is present and what they might think. 
And I find that sometimes the hardest time to do that is among Christians. Um, There have been many times in my life when I have been in a group of Christians and I have been convicted about the fact that we're talking away about someone else that we shouldn't be. And I wish I could say that the majority of those times I've spoken up and said, hey, we, we shouldn't talk this way about this person while they're not here. In reality, unfortunately, that's been the minority of those times. That takes boldness. That is a boldness to speak up for God's word. And certainly we can think of, of uh, scenarios where we would be in the midst of unbelievers. And they would be speaking about the Lord in a way that's wrong. Or they could even be speaking about something and, and, and sharing opinions that are contrary to God's word. And we have the opportunity to, to be bold and speak up and be open with our proclamation of God's word. Those situations, it, it takes a lot of selflessness to step up and say, you know, this is what God has to say about this. Um, because often we have our ideas about what the response is going to be or what people are going to think of us. Speaking God's word openly means that we speak up for the truth. Um, I'm sorry. Speaking God's truth boldly means not apologizing for what God has said about a certain issue just because it's uncomfortable to those present. And sometimes this is going to be a temptation when we're in a certain environment around certain people uh, we can kind of back off a little bit from what God has said or, or try to apologize for it or make excuses for it um, instead of being willing to just lay, lay it out as God has said it. Speaking God's truth is speaking not out of emotion or convenience, but out of constraint because of our love for Christ and his love for us. And Paul talked about that in 2 Corinthians 5.14. He talked about being like a fool before other people in his willingness to be open and bold about the word of God. And he said, I'm willing to look like a fool because God's love, Christ's love, constrains me. It's got that hold over me that I'll make whatever kind of fool of myself I need to in order to proclaim God's truth. And you might say, well, here we find Jeremiah in the temple, but it was easy for Jeremiah to be bold because he's under the reign of Josiah. And Josiah is a godly king. There's support. It's, a, it's a, a friendly environment. And there might be some validity to that because your audience matters. Um, I have had the opportunity before to do a little bit of street preaching when I was in, in uh, studying in England for a semester. And I want to tell you, it is a lot easier to preach from the pulpit at Good News <laughs> than it is on the street in some town, all right? Your audience matters. It makes a big difference. And that would have been the case for Jeremiah as well. But consider chapter 26 of Jeremiah. Uh, There we also find Jeremiah going up to the temple to preach. But the atmosphere is much different, much less favorable than it might have been in chapter 7. Jeremiah says in in Jeremiah uh, 26 verses 1 and 2, In the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, came this word from the Lord, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Stand in the court of the Lord's house, and speak unto all the cities of Judah, which come to worship in the Lord's house, all the words that I command thee to speak unto them. Diminish not a word. So who is the king now? Well, it's Jehoiakim. He was Josiah's son, who was certainly not favorable to the things of God. And in fact, as we'll find out later, um, he had a special place in his heart for Jeremiah, a special place of hatred for Jeremiah. Jehoiakim was not a fan. He was not supporting Jeremiah's ministry. He was opposing Jeremiah. But even in that sort of an environment, Jeremiah preached boldly in the face of open hostility. And uh, this, is a, this is a major challenge to me. Uh, Jeremiah, not because of his personality or because of his natural gifting, but because of his willingness to obey God, was a bold preacher. 
he, he was open with the message. He wasn't hiding away. He wasn't only preaching to the certain groups that he knew would want to hear him. He was open and bold with the message. We also find that Jeremiah preached directly. In verse 3, Jeremiah begins the meat of his message with, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Uh, Jeremiah calls on the people to amend their ways. And uh, the word that, that we have as amend in our English Bible, um, it means to make well, or to make beautiful, or to make sound. So we could think of the idea of someone being nursed back to health from an illness, or the idea of a nearly dead plant being carefully tended back to life, or of a broken vase being carefully pieced back together. Basically, Jeremiah is saying, you're broken, you're sick, and you're ugly. And you need to fix it. That's how he opens his message. Jeremiah is not preaching to get something off of his chest. He's not preaching to make people feel good. Jeremiah is getting right to the point. And he's preaching for a response. Uh, preaching for a verdict is a, a way that sometimes that's talked about. Uh, he calls on the people to do several things. First of all, to stop believing lies. We find that in verse 4. He says, Trust ye not in lying words, saying, The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. Now, what in the world is he talking about here? Well, this verse is, is part of why I think this message may have came, come soon after the renovation of the temple. All right? Under Josiah's reign, he had the, the temple refurbished, fixed up, beautified, and that is what led to them rediscovering the, the law of God. And so... Now, the people have misplaced their faith. They look at the temple. It's shiny. It's repaired. It's beautiful. And they think, what could God do to a people who have so beautifully repaired his temple? With God's temple here, we're, we're, we're safe. God's not doing anything to us. We just fixed up his house. We have done all this, and we're in great shape with God. And Jeremiah does not shy away from telling them that they're wrong. Jeremiah tells the people, these are lies. And he goes on to call them to line up with God's standard. He, uh, verse, verses 5 and 6, he says, he calls on them to thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, to oppress not the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, to shed not innocent blood in this place, and to not walk after other gods. So the people are looking at the temple and saying, look what we've done. And God is looking at their lives and saying, look what you've done. His standard, his focus is in a totally different place than theirs. Their standard is, the temple looks great, so God will be happy. God's saying, no, 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 no. That is not how I'm looking at this. That's not my standard. Jeremiah calls on the people to return to God's standard of righteousness. And God cares a lot less about the outer magnificence of the temple and more about whether they're following his law. And that's what Jeremiah is helping the people understand. And this is one of those themes we find throughout this book. Jeremiah also helps the people to recognize the reward. Verse 7. He says, if, if you do these things, if you follow my law, then will I cause you to dwell in this place, in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. So there is a reward for heeding God's word. And Jeremiah is ready to declare it. God says, if you obey, you get to stay. If you follow my law, you get to stick around in Judah. There is a reward for obedience. Jeremiah also calls on the people to stop the hypocrisy. He points out their blatant hypocrisy in verses 9 and 10. He says, 
Will ye steal, murder, and commit adultery, and swear falsely, and burn incense unto Baal, and walk after other gods whom ye know not, and come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, We are delivered to do all these abominations. So basically, they're living however they want. They're breaking the law of God, they're practicing idolatry, and then they're turning around and worshiping in the temple and saying, as long as we keep that worship going, we can do all the other stuff too. We can live however we want as long as we keep things up here in the temple. And Jeremiah is pointing out the foolishness of their hypocrisy. Uh, Back in Jeremiah 3.10, God said through Jeremiah that Judah hath not turned unto me with her whole heart, but feignedly, saith the Lord. It's all an act. Now we know that Josiah was truly doing this from his heart. But it appears that the people, the majority of the people, are just putting on an act. They're not truly returning to God with their hearts. They're just feignedly. they're, They're being actors in this play. They're playing their part so everything can look the way it ought to. But in their lives, they're they're disobeying God's law. They don't care about it. They still have idolatrous hearts. And Jeremiah points that out. And finally, he calls on the people to look at things God's way. And this is really the idea at the heart of all these challenges. In verse 11, he says, Is this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, even I have seen it, saith the Lord. They're glorying in the temple, and God is saying, things look a lot different from where I'm sitting. I'm looking at this in a much different way than you are. And so, they need a shift of perspective. And that's what Jeremiah and every good proclaimer of God's word must desire and seek to do. Cause people to see things God's way. Now, these are some really direct messages that Jeremiah gives. And I don't know about you, but that sort of directness can be pretty uncomfortable to me. Um, I, I, I want more, more diplomacy. I, I want to try to soften these things a little bit. Um, I don't want the preaching that, that seems to have the finger shaking in someone's face. But let me ask you, Is a message really effective if it's not direct? For example, if you tell a kid, be nice, how much good is that going to (laughs) do? At least in my experience with my kids, not much. (laughs) I I say that, that to them a lot, and it doesn't seem to have much of an effect. But if you start to get specific and you start to get direct, and you say, I want you to take your cars and I want you to let your brother pick one to play with. You need to share with him. Now we're starting to head in the right direction. All right. Now this might have some effect, okay? And we might be heading towards what we need to. Um, but without the directness, it, it's not going to be effective. But also, there are different brands of directness. Consider with me the difference between the directness of a boss who is angry because his employees are not being productive enough and he's losing profit, he's, he's not making as much profit as he'd like. And the directness of a friend who is trying to intervene in someone's life who is addicted to alcohol. There's a big difference between those types of directness. When it's driven by anger or when it's driven by love, it's going to strike very differently. And as we look at Jeremiah, we find him being very direct. But we also come to understand that all of this came out of a heart of love for God and love for God's people. And so it was what it needed to be because his heart was where it needed to be. And when our hearts are where they ought to be, we can and we ought to speak directly and call for a response when we share God's word. Directness 
doesn't necessarily translate to meanness if our hearts are what they need to be. We also find something that seems might seem like you to be an odd detail to highlight, and that is that Jeremiah preached with illustrations. Um, as you may already be starting to notice, Jeremiah's prophecy overflows with descriptive language, with illustrative stories, with striking imagery, and we find two examples of that here in Jeremiah 7. The first one is the illustration of Shiloh, verses 12 through 14. Jeremiah says, But go ye now unto my place which was in Shiloh, where I set my name at the first, and see what I did to it for the wickedness of my people Israel. And now, because ye have done all these works, saith the Lord, and I spake unto you, rising up early and speaking, but ye heard not, and I called you, but ye answered not, therefore will I do unto this house, which is called by my name, wherein ye trust, and unto the place which I gave to you and to your fathers, as I have done to Shiloh. Now, what is Shiloh? Well, you may recognize the name, you may not. Um, Shiloh is where the tabernacle was first set up after Canaan was conquered. Uh, it was north of Bethel, which is north of Jerusalem. Uh, Shiloh is where, in, in the book of 1 Samuel, Hannah went and prayed there for a son. And then after Samuel was born, he was sent to Shiloh to serve in the tabernacle with Eli, uh, who was the priest there at that time. That's Shiloh. That was also where the, um, the Ark of the Covenant was before it was captured by the Philistines when the people of Israel foolishly started to treat it like a good luck charm. And they said, we've got the ark, that means God's presence. If we bring the ark into battle, we're undefeated, we're undefeatable. They do it, they lose, the Philistines get the ark. And Eli finds out about it, and he falls back off his seat and dies. And, and that's all part of what happens here, uh, the story here. But we, we don't know exactly how Bethel was destroyed. That, that's not told to us in scripture, but archaeologists have found a site that's in that area that appears to have been destroyed, a city that appears to have been destroyed shortly after the battle in which the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant. So that's probably where Shiloh was. And so most likely, shortly after that happened, the Philistines came through, they destroyed Shiloh, they destroyed the tabernacle that was there. What a cautionary tale for the Jews of Jeremiah's day. They're looking at their newly refurbished temple and saying, here's our good luck charm. We've got the temple, we're invincible. Well, that's exactly what Israel had thought all, that, all those years before with the tabernacle in Shiloh and with the Ark of the Covenant. And look what happened to them. And God's saying, you're going to repeat history. He also gives another illustration, the illustration of Israel. And uh, I haven't been, sorry, I went backwards instead of forward. There we go. The illustration of Israel. Verse 15, And I will cast you out of my sight, as I have cast out all your brethren, even the whole seed of Ephraim. Um, and Ephraim is a term that's used throughout the prophets to refer to the, that northern kingdom of Israel. And so um, I gave a brief history of that. Of the exile of Israel before. They, they had sinned against God. God allowed the whole nation to be taken into captivity by the armies of Assyria. Shiloh had happened a long time ago. But in Jeremiah's day, Israel going into captivity was recent history. This is something that for the people living then, their grandparents could tell them about, or even possibly their parents could tell them about. Israel going into captivity. <coughs> This isn't that long ago. And God says, you're going to repeat history. You too are going to go into captivity. Just think about how, as Jeremiah is preaching through and he gets to this point, how these things are going to be, they're, they're going to set the people back a little bit and say, wow. He uses these illustrations, he uses these stories, and they think, that could be us? Is that really how God is looking at this? And throughout Jeremiah's ministry, we see him use lots of illustrations, and we see him use them powerfully. Um, very quickly, let me give you a couple of other examples. One I mentioned very briefly last week is Jeremiah 2.13, where Jeremiah compares the idolatry of the Judean people to the foolishness 
of leaving a fresh spring to go and dig out a cistern to try to catch rainwater, only to find out that the cistern has a crack in it and won't hold any water. Jeremiah says, that's a picture of what you're doing. He says in verses previous to that, if you go to all the other nations and ask them, have you turned away from your idols? They'll say no. And yet you worship the true God, and here you are turning away from the true God to dig out these broken cisterns. You could have the fresh water of the truth of God, and instead you're, you're, you're substituting it for, for a dry hole in the ground. Another familiar example is Jeremiah 18, where Jeremiah takes a field trip to the potter's house. Uh, he watches the potter shape the clay, and then when it becomes marred in his hand, the potter starts over and begins to fashion once again uh, that clay into the shape that he intended. And God says, O house of Israel, cannot I, do with, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in mine hand, O house of Israel. So, those are a couple of the most familiar, but throughout this book, you're going to find illustration after illustration. Sometimes they're stories, sometimes they're things that Jeremiah himself experiences, sometimes they're pictures from nature, um, but throughout this book we find these. And you might say, but illustrations are for sermons. Jeremiah is a preacher, so he used illustrations. That's what preachers do. They're to you know, add a little bit of fun, keep people interested, you know, keep them from falling asleep. Um, but that doesn't apply to other areas of life. Well, I, I disagree with you, even though I'm actually disagreeing with myself because I'm the one that said that. But, uh, <laughs> but they ought to be so much more than that. In fact, it's very interesting to me how many times in Scripture stories and illustrations are used in some pretty sticky situations. There are several examples in Scripture where Stories are used in situations of personal confrontation. Let me give you an example. Do you recognize this story? There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children, it did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. What context do we find that story in? The prophet Nathan is coming to confront King David about his sins of adultery and murder. Now, if you were going before a government official, especially if you're in a situation like, like Nathan, this is the king. You're going before him to confront him about his sin. How many of us are going to lead with a story? I mean, this is a tense situation. The potential for David to lose his cool and for Nathan to lose his head are pretty high. And yet Nathan, the servant of God, when he finds himself in this situation, how does he go about confronting David about his, his sin in a way that goes straight to David's heart? Maybe we don't use enough illustrations. This story is God's tool to go straight to David's heart to realize the gravity and the awfulness of what he has done and to prepare him to repent. So we shouldn't underestimate the power of illustrations and stories when they're used in the right way. If you've ever taken a, a course on sharing the gospel with other people, I've never been a part of one of those that doesn't have as a part of it teaching you illustrations 
and talking to you about sharing the story of how you came to Christ. It is God's word that people must have to understand the truth and to receive him. But often it's one of those illustrations or one of those stories that first sparks their interest and prepares them to hear the truth of God's word. And we find Jeremiah using that tactic over and over again. So Jeremiah used illustrations. We find also that Jeremiah preached simply. Let me read a portion of verses here from Jeremiah 7. And as I do it, just note the simplicity of language that Jeremiah uses and how easy it is to understand what he's saying. Sometimes as we're reading through some of these prophetic books, it, it can be hard going. We really have to slow down and try to figure out what's being said. With Jeremiah so often, it's just so clear and so simple and so easy to follow. Beginning in verse 17, he says, Seest thou not what they do in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood, and the fathers kindle the fire, and the women knead their dough to make cakes to the queen of heaven, and to pour out drink offerings unto other gods, that they might provoke me to anger. Do they provoke me to anger, saith the Lord? Do they not provoke themselves to the confusion of their own faces? Therefore thus saith the Lord, God, Behold, mine anger and my fury shall be poured out upon this place, upon man, and upon beast, and upon the trees of the field, and upon the fruit of the ground, and it shall burn and not be quenched. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Put your burnt offerings unto your sacrifices, and eat flesh. For I spake not unto your fathers, nor commanded them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings or sacrifices. But this thing commanded I them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and ye shall be my people. And walk ye in all the ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well unto you. But they hearkened not, nor inclined their ear, but walked in the counsels and in the imagination of their evil heart, and went backward and not forward. Since the day that your fathers came forth out of the land of Egypt unto this day, I have even sent unto you all my servants the prophets, daily rising up early and sending them, yet they hearkened not unto me, nor inclined their ear, but hardened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. There might be some parts of that where we have to slow down a little bit, but Jeremiah's preaching is just so clear. This is not a message that would only make sense to the educated or to the religious elite. It was a simple message that would have resonated with all the people, from the lowliest to the greatest. Jeremiah was saying, here's what you're doing, and here's the result. Here's what God has said, and here's how you have responded to that. God is not looking for your offerings. He's looking for your obedience. The people have become caught up in the pageantry of worship, and God through Jeremiah is saying, you can strip all that away, and if your heart is where it needs to be, then I'm pleased. Jeremiah is not dealing with hidden meanings or vague generalities. He's not playing mind games with people. He isn't using complicated language. He's getting real and just simply preaching the simple truth. Now, sometimes we can think, if we're going to share God's word, we have to use advanced vocabulary. Or we need to use great eloquence in our delivery. Or we need to wow people with our knowledge. But in reality, what people need is the simple word of God. They need to be brought face to face with what God has to say. And that's what Jeremiah is doing. He's not playing games with people. He's not showing off. He's just saying, here's the simple word of God. So, we've seen much about how Jeremiah preached, but sadly we find that Jeremiah preached and was rejected. In verses 27 and 28, God speaks to Jeremiah. And here's one of those examples where Jeremiah is speaking to the people, and now God turns and he's speaking directly to Jeremiah. Therefore thou shalt speak all these words unto them, but they will not hearken to thee. Thou shalt also call unto them, but they will not answer thee. But thou shalt say unto them, 
This is a nation that obeyeth not the voice of the Lord their God, nor receiveth correction. Truth is perished and is cut off from their mouth. Jeremiah is promised rejection. God says, you're going to preach this whole message to them, and they're going to reject it. They're going to ignore it. And we're going to spend time focusing on the response to Jeremiah's message in lessons 6 and 7. But you should know that he faced disdain, he faced rejection, persecution, hatred, even attempts on his life. He spent time imprisoned at least a couple of times. A faithfulness to proclaim God's truth is not a promise of success or protection. In fact, it can almost be the opposite. F.B. Meyer says in his book on Jeremiah, We may gravely question how far our words are God's when people accept them quietly and as a matter of course. The word of God to those that hug their sin can only be as fire, a hammer, and a sharp two-edged sword. God tells Jeremiah in Jeremiah 5.14, Wherefore thus saith the Lord God of hosts, Because ye speak this word, behold, I will make my words in thy mouth fire, and this people would, and it shall devour them. That's what Jeremiah's message was to these people. Like fire to wood. And they were not impressed. And they did not want to hear it. Jeremiah brings his sermon in, in Jeremiah 7 to a close with a warning of the, of the carnage that is coming as a result of the people's rejection of God's message. And this chapter and many others like it teach us powerful lessons from the preaching of the prophet Jeremiah. And we could have gone to so many other chapters um, to, to have these points brought to light from Jeremiah's preaching. He preached God's word. He preached openly. He preached directly. He used illustrations. He preached simply. And he was rejected. Let us follow his example. Even if it leads to our rejection as well. And remember that these aren't just lessons for preachers who stand behind pulpits. I think these are lessons that anyone who does preach can take to heart and recognize as principles that ought to guide us. But for all of us, called to be proclaimers of God's word, these are things we can learn from Jeremiah's example. I do want to draw your attention to the portion in the notes about Jesus' preaching. Uh, we're not going to take any time with this tonight, um, but I, I think you'll find it interesting that all the things we've drawn attention to about Jeremiah were also true of Jesus in his preaching. And I've given you one passage for each of those points that illustrates that truth. But just like with Jeremiah, we could go to multiple passages with each of these things and see them, see them illustrated in Jesus' ministry. Um, so, if the prophet Jeremiah isn't a good enough role model for you, uh, we can learn all these lessons from Jesus' example as well. All right, wanted to see if there are questions tonight or comments before we finish up. Questions or comments tonight. Congratulations on passing your homiletics course. Um, note the weekly reading in your, in your uh, handout for this evening. Uh, Jeremiah 7 through 12, um, six chapters, and I'll encourage you, uh, I've, I've finished laying it all out for the rest of the course, and for every week for the rest of the course, it's either going to be six chapters or five, all right, so no more of these seven chapter weeks, I know that was overwhelming for you, all right, um, but if you do keep up with that reading, I do think it'll be a blessing to you. And it will take you through this book and then towards the end, the book of Lamentations as well. All right. Next week, we're going to see um, an aspect of Jeremiah's life that was absolutely essential to his preaching ministry.
and that was his heart. And uh, there's, there's a lot of, I feel like there's a lot of yelling in this lesson, and there's a lot of crying in next week's lesson. Um, and, and I, it's so, one of the things I, I love about this book and that drew me to it in the first place is the balance between the two. Uh, because Jeremiah is, is, is preaching loudly and boldly, and he's calling people out for their sin, but then he's also weeping over their sin. And so I, I want to make sure we keep those two things in balance. And, uh, and next week we'll, we'll consider and, and focus on that, that part, his broken heart over the state of his people. If there's nothing else, we'll close with a word of prayer. Our Father, I thank you for Jeremiah once again. And the more we dig into this book, the more we learn about him, uh, the more I'm challenged by his life, by his example, by his faithfulness. Father, I pray that you'd help us all to be faithful proclaimers of your word. And as much we can learn from Jeremiah's example, uh, just a few of those lessons we've considered tonight, Lord, help us to be willing to be bold. Help us to have the courage and have the humility to stand up for the truth, to share the truth, to point others to your word. Help the love of Christ to constrain us and uh, guide us in this matter, we pray. Help us as we can continue to uh, consider the life of Jeremiah to to truly be drawn to Christ as a result. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and we wanna encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.